I'd like to have you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, I will say that uh, next week we will be back in the book of Colossians. But I, I need to say also that uh, this particular study that we've been doing now for the last few weeks since New Year's Eve on the deep state, the deeper state, and the deepest state uh, will only take a pause for a little while. Uh, I still have uh, tons of uh, research and uh, materials that I need to share with you. I, it's just that it just be, it, it actually did, truly did become overwhelming when, when I realized how much is happening in our world today and especially in our country uh, that uh, gives indication of uh, a deeper and deepest state uh, uh, activity uh, as we see the day of Christ approaching. So I don't want to give up on that, uh, but uh, we need to get back to the book of Colossians. Uh, Prayerfully, we are going to do that, and uh, then, of course, uh, when the time is right, we will uh, get in even deeper into this, uh, this topic that we've been dealing with uh, since New Year's Eve. Uh, I thank uh, our dear friend and, and dear brother in Christ, Greg Reed, for uh, complimenting everything that we've been uh, dealing with so far in the issues of the deep state, and uh, his uh, message on the two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, is uh, so uh, significant for us to remember what is happening. We can't, uh, we can't hide from what is taking place in the world. We can't treat it as if it's not really happening or we can't even begin to say that, you know, maybe it'll get better. Uh, because I have to tell you that things will not get better. They'll only get worse when it comes to this uh, push toward uh, a one-world government, a one-world uh, society, a global society, a global economy, global religion, and so on. All of this is biblical. All of these are the things that we find the deep state and the deeper state and the deepest state uh, entrenched in. And it is a war. God has called us to get into this war. But the very good thing that we need to remember is that if we are on God's side, the, win, the, the, the victory is already ours in Christ. So we, we need to consider that and continue to remember that. Uh, but it is, it is a battle, and uh, we, uh, we wrestle, as we've been dealing with now uh, over the many weeks that we've done this, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The rulers of the darkness of this world, the spiritual wickedness that is in high places today. Even the battle in the heavenlies. So... Let's keep all of that in mind as we come now to this question I actually asked a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to conclude with this uh, today, and that is, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here, and how are we then to live until Christ comes for us? 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11 says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, 
For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Now, one thing that the Gospels of Jesus Christ accentuate or put an emphasis upon is how our Lord and Savior both unites and divides. If we have trusted in Jesus Christ as our, as our Lord and Savior, then, then we are united in him as God's children. The Apostle Paul highlights this in his statement in Galatians chapter 3, verses 22 through 29, where Paul writes, But the scripture has concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. And here is verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are one in Christ. You are united in Christ. And now when the Lord Jesus returns as he promised to catch us up together with the dead in Christ, that great event that we are waiting for called the rapture of the church, we believers will never be separated again by distance or by time. We will definitely be united. And that forever. As we've studied often in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18, Paul says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together, harpazo, we shall be taken out, snatched away with them, the dead in Christ who have risen, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's a tremendous thing for us to do, even today. Comfort one another 
Jesus is coming. And Jesus is going to take us home. But there's also an aspect of division when it comes to Jesus as well. In fact, you can say that he is a divider, as pointed out a few times in the Gospel of John. There in John chapter 7, for example, verses 37 through 44, where it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. This is the Messiah of Israel. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Stop there for just a moment. i got to ask you all a couple of questions. Here they're saying, well, how, how could the Christ come out of Galilee? Doesn't the word of God say that he comes from Bethlehem? A simple question would have solved that problem. For example, how many of you were born outside of El Paso? but now make El Paso your home, okay? You're born outside of El Paso. Now, let me, let me be more specific in the question. How many of you were born outside of El Paso to parents who were outside of El Paso but are from El Paso, but maybe were out because of the military or, or uh, uh, work of, of some sort, and you were born outside of El Paso, but yet you were from El Paso? Any of you? Okay. Well, good, a couple of you. See, all I had to do was ask. Why didn't they ask Jesus? If I really wanted to know, if I really wanted to know that he was the Messiah of Israel, I would say, were you born in Bethlehem? What do you think he was going to say? Of course he was. To fulfill Micah chapter 5 verse 2. You see. The division wasn't Jesus' fault. He fulfilled scripture. But you see how he divides? So look at verse 43. So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him. But no man laid hands on him. Because it wasn't the time. And then in John chapter 9, when Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, the, the Lord of the Sabbath, actually healed a man on the Sabbath. Uh, Healed a blind man. Notice this one verse in John 9, 16. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. Or in John chapter 10, where it says in verses 19 through 21, there was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings, sayings such as, he said earlier, I am the door of the sheep, or the saying, I am the good shepherd, or what he would say a little bit later in this same chapter, I and the Father 
are one. For that particular statement, they picked up stone. And notice in verse 20, it says, And many of them said, He hath the devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath the devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And so faith in Christ Jesus not only unites us to other believers, but it can also divide and separate us spiritually from the rest of the world. And I do mean from the rest of the world, even if that part of the world professes to be believers. That is the problem in the church today. And it is a major problem. Because I will tell you this, and I've told you this before, but we are the minority today because we believe every word of the scriptures because we will teach every word of the scriptures and we will stand upon every word of the scriptures. But this is part of that division of the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. We are divided spiritually from the rest of the world. The world that is called the cosmos in the Greek, uh, cosmos being the world system. In fact, I just, just so you'll know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, cosmos, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God said not his Son into the cosmos, the world, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. One other, one other thing that Jesus said to his disciples about true believers in every generation, and that, he said hours before going to the cross, was this. He said in John 17, verse 16, he says, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are no longer of this world. We are in the world, but not of it. We are waiting for the Lord to come and take us home, true home, his home. You know, the Apostle John would even make that kind of distinction in his first letter to the church as he writes in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 19. We cover this a lot. We, we read it a lot. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's some very clear statements being made here by John. Statements that, that, that can get muddied by interpretation. Maybe they could be muddied by different kinds of weak milk toast translations, but not here. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, notice what it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Where did we run into that before? Where was it instituted? In the garden, in Genesis chapter 3. He says, for all that is in the world is not of the Father. These three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father but is of the world, the world system that began in the heart of Lucifer before the throne of God in his self-righteous, uh, prideful way. 
and continued on in the garden as the Nahash, the serpent, who deceived Eve and Adam. And the world passeth away. I love that phrase. I'll tell you why. Because man, man thinks today that they are going to save this planet. Man, read 2 Peter chapter 3. God has plans to destroy it by fire. The world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. John is saying, we're in the last days. Well, I'll get back to that point in just a moment. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists. Now stop and think. If there were many Antichrists then, I'll tell you what, there are many more Antichrists today. And they have multiplied exponentially since John's time. And sadly, many of them are in the church, the so-called church today. The visible church. The invisible church is made up of every true believer in Jesus Christ, and only God knows who they are. They went out from us. Notice this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Which gives some indication that they're still in the church. And in many cases, running the church or particular churches. But not focused on what God says, but what man feels. And these distinctions are significant for they certainly help to define the issue of holiness or what it means to be holy. And I don't mean in a sanctimonious or self-righteous way. Because the Lord has always called his people to be separate from the world. Holiness and holy come from a word that means to be set apart from. Set apart from. Set away from. Now, in one sense, it is set away from the world and set apart unto God. Set apart from the world, set apart unto God. That is being holy. It's not the, you know, the way that you dress and you know, how, how you act. God knows the heart. God knows the heart that is holy and set apart. And this is basic in the classic Judeo-Christian ethical understanding. Take, for instance, what it says in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 43 through 47. Ye shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creepeth, neither shall ye make yourselves unclean with them, that ye should be defiled thereby. Uh, very quickly, a little parenthetical statement here. Uh, why do you think it was that God said he was going to destroy man and the beasts? Keep that in mind, because that's coming back in part two of this whole thing. You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creepeth, neither shall you make yourselves unclean with them, that you should be defiled thereby. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, set yourselves apart, and you shall be holy, 
set apart. For I am holy. Do you know that God is not in his creation? He is above his creation. That means he's holy above his creation. See, the new age thinking that has creeped into the church is, you know, the pantheistic, panentheistic uh, philosophy has crept into the church, crept into the church to, to say that, you know, God is in everything. And this is why you need to trust in your Christ consciousness. Oh, by the way, he's also in the chair you're sitting on. That kind of thing. That's, that's crazy. That's making us a part of the world. And God did not make us a part of the world. He says you're separate from it. And he's our example of that. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves. You shall be holy for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. This is the law of the beasts and of the fowl and of every living creature that moveth in the waters and of every creature that creepeth upon the earth to make a difference between the unclean and the clean and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. Then you jump down to chapter 19 of Leviticus and it says in verses 1 and 2 very simply, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy. For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. We are to be separate and set apart from the world and separated unto God. The Apostle Peter quoted, by the way, from this text to the early church. And by the way, Peter was, you know, that, those instructions, of course, were given to the Israelites. They were given to the Jewish people. And Peter, being a Jew, quotes from that text to the church, in the early church, church made up of Jew and Gentile. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 says, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, the things that God has given you to understand, he says, bind them to yourself. Don't let them loose. Don't let them go. Be sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Don't fashion yourself after the world, in other words. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation, the King James means your conduct. So be ye holy in all manner of conduct and conversation. Because it is written. Where is it written? In the book of Leviticus. Be ye holy, for I am holy. We must be separate from this world. And from all that we've learned of the deep state, the deeper state and the deepest state, from the self-righteous and self-promoting words and actions of Lucifer before the throne of Almighty God in eternity past, to the sinister deceptions of the Nahash, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, <clears throat> to the principalities and the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and the spiritual wickedness in high places that we wrestle with daily in our Christian walk, we now have to come to ask these questions today. Where do we go from here?
with what we know is happening in this world today. Where do we go from here as believers in Jesus Christ? And even more poignantly, how then are we to live until the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And as I've said time and again throughout the past few weeks, we cannot be as the proverbial ostrich with his head in the sand when it comes to the events that are taking place in the real uh, taking place in real time around us. We cannot be like those who become selective in what they want to hear and and when they want to hear it. Or even in what they want to hear. And whether it be within the political spectrum or otherwise, all is affected with what is being prepared for the end of the ages. All is being affected. Everything is being affected. Every aspect of our life, every aspect of the culture and the society in which we live today and and, and really globally around the world is being affected by the deep state, the deeper state, and the deepest state. The question is often asked, and sadly, sadly, by many professing Christians, the question is asked, are we really living in the last days? Are we really living in the last days? I mean, let's face it, that question has quite a final, ominous ring to it, doesn't it? But folks, we need to deal with reality. And we need to deal with biblical reality. As a point of review, let's deal with that question for just a moment. Are we really living in the last days? Well, is Scripture clear about the last days or the latter days as to when they began? I think we can get a good hint of that by reading Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Where even though there is not a, a, an author mentioned at the beginning of this letter, I, I believe it's the Apostle Paul, but here it says God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Notice this next phrase, hath in these last days. Now that was about 2,000 years ago. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But that verse, verse 2, that's, that statement has in these last days. Paul is saying, these are the last days. And they've been going on until now. And they continue. And they will continue until Jesus Christ comes for us. And by the way, on the day of Pentecost, Peter would affix the ancient prophecy of Joel to the time of the 120 that were in the upper room, receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room weeks before the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this prophecy of Joel that was given to us hundreds of years ago. Notice what it says, Acts 2, verses 14 through 17. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he said unto them, You men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. See, they thought they were all drunk because they were in this upper room on the day of Pentecost. And they are praising God in all kinds of languages. The Holy Spirit has come through that room, placed these 
tongues of fire over their heads, and now they are just speaking praises of God uh, to God in every language that was represented down below that room, and people were hearing it, thinking, "Well, these guys must be, you know, drunk or something." And Peter says, "No." He says in verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days. That's when the last days began, and it's still going on. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. We're brought back now to our initial text in 1 Thessalonians Thessalonians, to help answer that question. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 5 says, But of the the times and and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Paul spent an extensive amount of time teaching this church, a brand new church. I mean, uh, I'm sure that there was a little bit of milk taught, but there was a whole lot of meat given. Prophecy was being taught by Paul to this church. And it tells us something. It tells us that Paul himself believed that Jesus could come at any moment. And he still can come at any moment. The time will be right when that last person says yes to Jesus and the Lord says, it's time. And he sends Jesus to come and take us home. He says, you have no need that I write unto you about the times and the seasons. We've talked about it. We've studied it. We've looked at it. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, what is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is very specific. It is a seven-year period of time pointed out to us in the, in the book of Daniel chapter 9. Seven-year period of time where God is going to continue to bring chastisement upon Israel to complete the chastisement of 490 years that Israel was to go through this chastisement, chastising period. But it was also a time and will be a time of God's wrath upon the earth. That is why the church will not be here. Because it's not about the church. He says, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Unexpectedly, in other words. For when they shall say peace and safety, then then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Notice, he's saying to the church, they, 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 not you, you, you. Because the church is not there. and will not be there. But it is what the cry of the globalist will be, oh, we have peace and safety now. We've united all the problems of the world. There's going to be a, 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 a hand in hand between the Catholic Church and the, and, and, and the Muslim religion and, 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 and everything in between, as it were. And I don't say that uh, loosely. I, I say that because... When you do the study of what is, what has been uh, taught concerning the days to come, this is the world religion that you'll see very clearly in Revelation chapter thirteen. 
under one person. The one person who will go into the temple, the third temple, that will be erected in Israel, in Jerusalem, and proclaim himself to be God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And notice the next word, but. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And so before we come to the table of communion today, in these last days, because we're living in the last days, in fact, we can say, we are living in the last of the last days. And don't, don't let that scare you. Don't let that worry you. If you love Jesus, Jesus is coming for you. He's going to take care of you. The other thing, too, is, you know, don't worry about the last days because we're going to continue on until Jesus comes. And we can continue on confidently. Sharing the love of Christ. Sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who need Jesus. There's still people coming to Jesus. Don't be fooled by statements made by people in the emerging church or in other kinds of movements, you know. No, no, no. Jesus is coming. So in these last days, let us do this. First of all, let us walk in the light as he is light. Let us, let us walk in the light as he is light. First John chapter 1, verses 5-7, through 7, John writes, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So we struggle with darkness, guess what? Turn around. Go to the light. Get back to the light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, understand this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what do we have? Fellowship. We are one in Christ. We are to love one another in the love of Jesus Christ. We are to fellowship, commune, koinonia is the Greek word. We are to share deeply the things that Christ has given us to share. As we will today with this bread and this cup. And the blood of Jesus Christ's son cleanses us from all sins. Or from all sin. So understand that. He continues to work in our lives today. So walk in the light of God's word, because that is where the light is, isn't it? Walk in the light of God's word every day until that day comes. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That is why we emphasize the need to read the word of God. That is why we will study the word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, phrase by phrase sometimes. Precept upon precept, as it were. But we must stay in God's word. Secondly, stay awake and vigilant. Stay awake and vigilant. Too many sleeping Christians today. 
1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep, as do others. But let us watch and be sober. You know what he's calling us to do? Be a watchman. Be awake to the things that are happening in the world today. I'm trying to encourage you. I've been trying to encourage you since New Year's Eve to be watchmen, to be looking at what's happening in the world today because all of these things pertain to the coming of Jesus Christ. And be sober. Notice how many times the word sober comes up. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love, and, and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. If we're of the day, we should be sober. Not let anything cloud our senses. Our spiritual understanding. Our spiritual understanding of the word. Our spiritual understanding of the times. Let nothing cloud that. Sometimes we cloud it with with just the, the, the thought that, you know, well, I went to church today, and now the rest of the day is mine. And we go off and we do all kinds of things. Now, I'm not saying that don't go off and do all kinds of things. Because most of the time it's visiting family and you know what? You're a light to your family. Let Jesus shine in your life. In your life. There are activities that we all do. It's okay. But will you let the light of the glory of Christ shine in you wherever you are, whatever you do? You have to stay sober. And yes, I mean, let's, let's face it. We need to be sober in every way possible, physically and spiritually. Because the cost is just too high if we don't. And this is why Paul makes reference here to a piece or a pieces of the armor when he says, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. But consider the reference there to the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. His reference to the two pieces of armor there in 1 Thessalonians is, is probably a reference to what they need to be stronger in. What they needed to, to be strengthened more in, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Understand these things. But we know from Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter 6 that he said in verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We are to be awake and we are to be vigilant. We are to stay spiritually attuned to what is going on. There's a lot more for us to realize. 
there are deeper levels that, that uh, would shock us, really, if I were to mention them today. I wish I had two more hours with you all. That means the 11 o'clock hour is going to really be in trouble. No, I'm just kidding. So, walk in the light as he is light. Stay awake and vigilant. And thirdly, comfort one another until the day of Jesus Christ. Comfort one another. Look at verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Build one another up. Encourage one another. Don't tear one another down. Encourage, build up, strengthen, even as also ye do. Now, folks, listen carefully. Let's not live in a vacuum. We are to build up each, we're to build up each other and every member of the body of Christ. We're to encourage each other. Let's not sit on the sidelines in these last days. The consequences are too grave for us to make light of the times in which we live. No, they are dangerous times. Paul already told us that. They're dangerous times. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's go to the table of communion, understanding these things. Walk in the light. Stay awake. Stay sober. Be vigilant. And comfort each other. Because we go through a lot in these last days. We are going through a lot, dealing with a lot of things, in our, even in our own government today. Our freedoms are being attacked each and every day. Our freedoms, to just our basic freedom of speech and our freedom to worship, being attacked. See, where does the freedom stop? It stops when people start attacking you for what you believe. Now, we're to give a defense. What is our defense? To hit them back? Spit on them as they spit on us? No, we are to give them an answer of the hope that lies within us from the Word of God. And Jesus told us to love them. Because in most cases, we were where they were. And here's the words that I want to share before we come to communion. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. These are the words of Jesus in Luke 21, verse 25 and following. And upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. That sounds like today. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear. And for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass. Now notice this. Then look up and lift up your heads. For your redemption draweth nigh. Look up. And lift up your head. You know what that is? That is the position of victory. That is saying we are a victorious people now because of what Jesus Christ has already done. 
for us. Taking our sin upon himself, nailing it to the cross, dying on the cross, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, being buried and on the third day rising from the dead, defeating sin, death, hell, and the enemy. That's victory. And we as believers in Jesus Christ in these last days must carry that with us. The victory is our heads lifted high. Why? Not, not, not in a prideful way. Because we didn't do anything. We were the sinners. But our God and our Savior has won the battle for us. And the war. Amen?